I hope you guys are doing well this morning. Um, you know, we've been preaching through Mark, and it's, and it's exciting to get to talk about the life of Jesus. Um, I spent a lot of time reading, uh, maybe not a lot of time, but I spent a good, good enough amount of time reading theological works, and a lot of times they're focusing on the epistles, and um, lately I've just wanted to read narrative, and I've been reading a lot of fiction uh, in my, my personal time, and so then to get to read narrative, to get to read the Gospels, and to think about the life of Jesus, and and the things he said and did, and, and these stories, it's really, um, it's great, and and we get to look at Jesus and think about what he said and how he's called us to live. And as Christians, that's what we do. We walk uh, like Jesus walked. Um, if any man is in Christ, he, he, he walks like him. Uh, he, he begins to imitate. We are imitators of Jesus, as it were. Um, and that's a difficult thing. Um, and, and sometimes I, I don't know that we, that we give enough honest consideration to just how difficult it is. Life is difficult enough as it is to try and navigate, to try and figure out. And then when you add on top of it what it means to follow Jesus and to live as a Christian lives, um, sometimes it can be a very scary thing. Uh, Sometimes it feels like if we do one thing and go one way, that's going to be wrong. And if we go another way, that's going to be wrong. And, And it feels like we're walking on a a tightrope, uh, it feels like being, if, as one man said in a pretty famous place, it feels like being a fiddler on a roof, right? It's shaky business. And what helps us to keep our balance? Well, what, what, did, what was the... The play saying, what helps us to keep our balance? I can say it in one word, right? Tradition. Many of you have seen that. A whole, it opens with that number of tradition. Tradition, it says, helps us to make sure that like a fiddler on the roof, it's risky business that we keep playing a tune and at the same time we don't plummet off of the roof that we're fiddling on. So often we turn to tradition to, to help balance us. And, and there's, a, there's a good reason for that, and, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, I want you to consider the tradition, even of Fiddler on the Roof, what they're, what they're talking about. Just for a second. Uh, in the, the Jewish faith today, right, um, the Holy Scriptures, Torah, and we, we call that the Old Testament. Right? And, and you've read the Old Testament, right? It's not, it's not all intuitive. You don't just read it and you're like, oh, that story, that, that really made sense. And I immediately know how to apply that to my life. Right? It's, it's, it's difficult. And, and not only are there weird stories about old dudes doing incredible things, there's a ton of law in it. So much so that it becomes tedious. Some of us have trouble remembering the Ten Commandments. And there are hundreds of, upon hundreds of commandments in Torah. And how do we keep them? And it's, it's scary and we don't, 
what do we do? And, and so there was oral tradition that occurred over time to help explain how to keep the Torah. And so now that's recorded in the Mishnah. And, and this is a multi-volume explanation of Torah. Right? And so now you've got the Old Testament, which is long enough and arduous enough reading as it is. Then you've got the Mishnah. But even then, people say, well, that's not quite so clear. Right? And so we need something to explain the thing that we need to explain the laws of God. And so then there's the Talmud. Right? And so now that's a multi-volume commentary on the multi-volume commentary on the Torah. That's a lot. And so the fiddler on the roof, or in, in that, that play, the father, he, he, what does he say? He says, things like we cover our heads when we pray. Why do we do this? I don't know. Tradition. That's why we do it. We don't know where these things come from, um, but now we've collected them and we can say, but, but so many of these traditions, they, they, they come from an attempt to explain and help us to live the laws of God, right? And, and let's be honest, that's, that's not a, a bad heart to come from. Some of the traditions, like the ones that we're going to see uh, here, some of the traditions that the, the Jewish people observed were to protect themselves from breaking the law. And so consider for, ex- for a second this example, that outside in the backyard, there's a tree. All right? And so you're told, do not climb that tree. But man, its branches are low and sturdy. It goes up forever. You really like to climb trees? I am not describing me here. This is a definite you, right? (laughs) There was never a point in my childhood where my mom said, hey, get out of that tree. Just wasn't, right? But you really want to climb that tree. Your heart wants to climb that tree. And so what do you do? You say, I can't get near that tree. I have an idea. I'll put up a fence around that tree to keep me from getting to the tree and climbing it. Now, what's the rule? Don't climb the tree. But now in order to keep that rule, what have you done? You've made a, a second, a, a boundary and a second rule. And now you say, don't, don't even, don't go near the fence. You know if you go near the fence, because it's not the law, you're going to just hop over that fence. You might even be able to jump up onto a tree branch and climb over the fence. I don't know how acrobatic you are. But the point is, you're saying, okay, well, now then, to protect myself from breaking that law, I have to make a a more detailed law. I have to make a new law. Don't touch the fence. So what happens? (laughs) Well, the fence looks a little in disrepair. Boy, um, I like climbing fences almost as much as I like climbing trees. I better build a wall around that fence. 
Right, do, you see, do you see what's happening here? And so now, what's well, your original intent? It's to not break the law, but now you've created a second law and, a, and another law. And, and traditions sometimes work a lot like this. And, and, and that's what we're going to see as we enter this text. We're, we're going to be talking about, uh, well, the title of the sermon anyway is Legalism, License, and Loving the Law of God. Uh, I was thinking about calling it tradition, Torah, and truth. But I decided that four L's trump three T's. And so here <laughs> we are. Because this is what, this is what happens. Now, I, w- I want you to hear that and see that. It's not wrong to put a fence around that tree, to remind myself not to touch that tree. But when you then say, not only is it disobedience to touch the tree, but it's disobedience to touch the fence, and then you build a wall and say it's disobedience to touch the wall, all of a sudden, really what you've done is just created a new law. And you're binding people by that new law. And and consider this, the tree, wide as it may be, is only a small piece of the yard. But as you continue to go crazier and crazier, all of a sudden, you can't leave the house. All of a sudden, you don't have freedom at all. It's legalism. And so frequently, we mask it in tradition. So let's come to this text. We're we're in Mark chapter 7. We're going to read verses 1 through 23. We're going to see what the Lord has to say for us. If you would, go ahead and stand for the reading of of God's word. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is, 
given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things do you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of the person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and the people left, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he rendered all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that as we walk this life, this Christian life, that we would not swing too far in the pendulum towards legalism, but that we would also not swing too far towards license. Instead, that we would love and delight in the law of the Lord, that you would be pleased in us and with us as we walk in trust in Jesus' name and power. It's in that name that I pray this morning. Amen. I realized just now that I could have said law of the Lord and then it would have been too much alliteration for anyone here to handle. Um, So here we are now. We come to this next story. And what we know is that the disciples in Jesus, they've been out ministering. Jesus has been teaching. They come into this place, the Pharisees gather with him, the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, and the disciples, and they go to eat, and the disciples do not wash their hands. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they say to Jesus, look at your disciples, they're not They're not washing their hands before they eat. They're not eating with clean hands, but with defiled hands. Now, let me freeze for a moment there and and tell you what the issue is here. Because here's what I don't want you to think, is that the Pharisees were really just concerned with hygiene. Right? In our house, after you use the bathroom, before you eat, if you've been playing outside in the dirt, when you come inside, you wash your hands. It's cleanliness. Right? Right? So, you know, if, if you're in youth group tonight and we have a snack or something and you come in from outside and you don't wash your hands, I'm going to say that's nasty, right? Like, go wash your hands. But here's what I'm not doing is I'm not saying you're unclean. And so here's what the Pharisees did. Uh, they took laws that were for the priests, the Levitical group, right? Laws about ceremonial washing. And cleansing. And they expanded it to everyone. And they kept expanding it and kept expanding it so that if you came in and you did not wash your hands, your 
hands were unclean, thus you were unclean. And if you ate with them, you were defiling yourself. You were unclean. Now, cleanliness in that day was much more important. To be called unclean was much worse than maybe we think about it today. Because there were things that unclean people could not do. If you were defiled, if you were unclean, you couldn't go in the temple. You couldn't worship. Your worship was hindered. Right? And so, <clears throat> if you were unclean, clean people couldn't touch you. Right? Cleanliness was important. Cleanliness in the Old Testament especially, um, being considered clean was an outward example of what was supposed to be an inward reality. You are clean because inside you are clean. Your heart is undefiled. Your lips are undefiled. So you keep yourself clean. You don't touch that which is unclean. But that's not what the Pharisees are concerned about, is it? They're not concerned with the inward cleanliness, the purity, the holiness of Jesus' disciples. They're concerned with tradition. Because what do they say to them? They don't say, look at, look at you, you're dishonoring God. Look at you, you're not keeping Torah. You're not keeping the law. Do they say that? No. Jesus, why don't they hold to the tradition of the elders? Where do these traditions come from? I, I couldn't tell you when they started. But they did. And maybe at the very beginning of it, there was like we said before, a good heart and a good desire to honor the Lord. But now it's become just vain tradition, legalism. So Jesus takes them to task on their adherence to tradition. And so as we talk about this, what I want to do is point out just a couple, just a couple of the big problems with legalism, with traditionalism. Not tradition, right? We have a lot of traditions. Growing up, there was a tradition that we practiced in, in the church that I first went to. And, and so if, let's see if any of you know this tradition. So if the one standing up said something to this effect, God is good. And all the time. Right? Or um, we've done this and... And I'm a big advocate of it. I love it. Uh, having come out of a less liturgical environment and then studied at a school that was Presbyterian and getting to learn the liturgy of it and getting to learn sort of the history of liturgy, one of the things I love and I should have done this morning is after we read the word, the leader says, this is the word of God. And the people say, thanks be to God. Why? Because we should be thankful for his word. What greater gift do we have? The word of God given to us freely. God revealing himself to us. And so after we read it, we thank God for it. My uncle would say, after he finished reading, may the Lord add a special blessing to the reading of his holy word. But then you go places, and the tradition has died. Well, the tradition continues on, but the heart of the tradition is dying. And so people say these things, and man, 
they might as well be saying anything. Right? Have you been to a very traditional service where the people's hearts are just not for the Lord, but you do it because this is what you do? And, and when you come in as an outsider, it's hard. Right? It's difficult because people stand up, you know, okay, you stand by the time you've stood up, they're all sitting down. And then, then they're talk, you know, and the priest says something and, and they all say something back, or, you know, the, the preacher, and you're just kind of looking around. And sometimes they have a helpful sheet, but by the time you find your place, the service is over. Right? Okay, and, uh, you know, and, no, but, but nobody's hearts are drawn to the Lord from it because tradition sometimes has this weird adverse effect of when we love it more than we love what it's supposed to point us to, it dies, right? Tradition is supposed to be like a road sign, right? You look at the road sign and it says, Andrew, two miles ahead. Here's what you don't do. You don't park your car at the road sign and say, whoa, Andrew is nice. <laughs> I don't know how many people go into it. No, I won't. I won't. <laughs> Few quite snob. <laughs> but but do, you, do you see what I'm saying? You know, you don't, you don't stop on the New Jersey turnpike because there's a sign that says New York City that way, right? And try and order a pizza. Right? You, you don't do it. You miss the point. You've stopped at the sign. You've, for a second, you've allowed the sign to take the place of the thing it was signifying, and that is dead. It's worthless. And so you go to church. You say these things, and they're meant to point you to something better, something wonderful. And instead, you stop at the sign. Right? Instead of letting communion be a, a, a moment that draws our hearts towards the Lord to remember what he's done, to remember that we are a community, we just do it. Bread, juice, let's go. Going to get a little more bread and juice when we go home after, after lunch, right? Like, we don't stop to think about the traditions that we do and they die. And here's what happens is they actually stop our hearts from meeting the Lord. Traditionalism can do that. Legalism can do that. Uh, I I think I've said this before from here, but one of my favorite authors, Southern American author Flannery O'Connor, and in the book Wise Blood, she said this of Hazel Motes, the main character, that he had a very keen understanding that one of the best ways, the most effective ways to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. Right, let that settle for a moment. Like if, it's not, if I just don't do anything bad, I don't have to think about Jesus. His heart is not for Jesus. He wants to avoid Jesus at any cost. Now, some of you, some of you don't want to avoid Jesus, but, but in the legalism and in the traditionalism, we avoid this clear fact that the law points us to the fact that we cannot on our own keep it and that we need Jesus. And so when your legalism happens, just like the traditionalism that we see here, what do you set up? You set up laws that are easier to keep and easier to keep. Jesus says it later when he talks about it's not what goes into a person that defiles him, but what comes out of a person. And then he lists a whole bunch of things. See, it's easier to tell if you've washed your hands 
or even this. It's easier to know you're not committing adultery, right? Than to know if you're being greedy or proud, right? You know if you're committing adultery. You know, you don't wake up one morning and say, oh, you're not my wife. That doesn't happen. But you do wake up one morning and say, whoa, I am consumed by bitterness. Or even worse, with with greed, you may think because you haven't reached the point that someone else is financially that you, there's no way I can be greedy. I'm not greedy. I have nothing to be greedy with. Because you're defining it by outward things, but your heart is greedy. And see, this is what legalism and tradition traditionalism does. It's very rare that a legalist creates a law that them themselves cannot keep. Other people might not be able to keep it, and they're comfortable, we're, com- we're comfortable with that. But we like to create laws that we can keep, thus nullifying the need for the cross, for Jesus, for grace, the Holy Spirit. Just go to church. Check into our accountability group. Go to home group. Take communion whenever it comes. Don't really sin that much. We're we're good. Jesus, (laughs) Jesus wants nothing to do with that. He is not happy with the legalism and the traditionalism of the Pharisees and the scribes, right? So that's, that's one thing that happens, right, with legalism is that it actually stops your heart from going all the way to the thing that it was meant to point to. But the other thing is you become selfish. You don't become selfish. We already are. <laughs> Being married has been the best indicator of just how selfish I am that I've ever had, right? I know it. Guys, you know it. You're in bed. You hear the kids crying. You're not really asleep. (laughs) But if I just take a long enough breath, deep enough draw, even a little, just some, right? <laughs> and then just wait for it. Wait for it. Okay, she's sitting up. Oh, she lying, but no, she's sitting, she's out of the bed. Okay, she's walking up the stairs. Oh, slide over, right? Like, whoo, <laughs> my bed now, right? Selfishness. Selfishness. Marriage shows that. I thought I was a patient man. Then I had three kids. I realized my patience was just never tested. <laughs> really one of the most impatient people I know. They're just the only ones who know how to activate it. Um, but we are. We're selfish and, and we're self-seeking and self-satisfying. And so here's what we do with the tradition is we then leverage this tradition and this legalism so that it favors us over anyone else. We don't care. Tradition to 
gain an advantage. Now, we saw this happen, we've seen this in church history on a grand scale. But I want you to see what's happening here, what Jesus calls the Pharisees out on. Because this is not some masterful attempt to keep power and to get money because people think that they need to pay in order to satisfy the wrath of God. This isn't even that. We could all identify. None of you are running indulgence booths outside the church, right? But listen to, the, listen to what Jesus says here. Um, you have a fine way. You're really good at this. After quoting Isaiah 29 and just saying, look, this is you. You honor me with lips, but your, heart, your hearts are far away. That's what we just were talking about. Tradition allows you to honor God with your lips, even with fake, forced actions, but your hearts to be far away from them. You'd be surprised what you can do with a hardened heart. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God, hold to the tradition of men, and he says, you're good at this. It's incredible. If you, have, if you have children, you know this well. Sometimes they do something wrong, but it's so amazing that you're almost too impressed to punish them. Like, this is wrong, but creative. So hold on to the creativity, and let's just not disobey, can we? Let's channel that somewhere else. And, and he's saying, you, you are amazing at rejecting the commands of God to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But here's what you say. If a, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God. So let's just explain what Corbin is, right? Corbin was basically a promise, uh, a, a gift to the Lord, a gift to the temple. And here's what you could do. is, uh, And I think the heart of it was that people knew that their future wasn't certain and that they might die and they wanted to make sure that they gave to God what they wanted to before they died. And so they would designate things as Corbin, as a gift to the Lord. And that meant that when that person passed away, whatever item was designated, so you have a house, I designate it Corbin, that item belonged to the temple, was given to the Lord, right? Good thing. However, in order to protect Corbin, there was this law, essentially this tradition that said, if you designate something Corbin, then it can't be used for any other person or any other purpose except for you. So you can still use it. So you, you use your field as Corbin. You can still use it to glean from the ground, to eat. But you can't say to your neighbor, oh, yeah, here, take half an acre. Right? You can't do that because it's designated Corbin. And so now here's what people are doing. Their parents, they're getting older. They have needs. I want, can, can I have some grain from your field? A room in your house? I don't want to do that. I don't want to live with my parents again. I don't want to honor them. Um, I can't, Mom. It's Corbin. It, it can only be used for me. Not for you. Sorry. So they find this loophole in the law or in the tradition. Not even the law. In the tradition. They find a loophole in the tradition that allows them to break the law of God. And so they're using tradition to hurt people. 
people. Their hearts are not for the law of God. That's why the title was Legalism License and Loving the Law of God. Because neither legalism nor license does that. I want you to hear very clearly what I'm not saying. Let me, let me put it this way. What legalism is not, right? It is never legalism to obey Jesus. If God commands you to do something, see, that's not what they're doing here. They're not breaking the commandments of God. They're breaking the traditions that they've established. Right? Obedience is not legalism. Remember that. Because if you are obedient to the law, you'll keep the first and great commandment. What is that? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Legalism doesn't do that. Legalism doesn't lead you into that. Obedience does. Right? And so you find yourself in this pendulum, which is where he goes next. You find yourself in this pendulum of legalism or license. And so legalism creates rules to keep you from breaking the actual rules of God and then says that you're condemned if you break the rules that we created that God didn't even give. Right? Legalism says if you read a Harry Potter book, you're going to hell. License says it's no big deal to get your palm read. Legalism says if there's even alcohol in the food that you cooked, then you're betraying the gospel of the Lord. License says whatever, get drunk. Have a good time. So many of us tend to one or the other. Why? Because it's easier. It is. It's easy to create a whole bunch of laws that we can keep in order to make us holier than people around us. It's difficult to wrestle with the law and to walk by the Spirit. It's easy to say, hey, grace covers everything. In spite of the fact that Paul says, may it never be. God says, through Paul, may it never be. Just to do what you want. And neither of them, neither of those positions love the Lord. And so Jesus goes on um, because he says, look, here's the issue. The issue is not washing your hands. The issue is not outward cleanliness. It's inward holiness. And so he, the people come to him, calls the people to him. He says, listen to this. There's nothing outside of a person that when it goes in can defile him. There's no food you can eat. No drink, no, there's no dirt that can get into your system that will defile you. It might not be clean, it might not be healthy, but it's not defiling you because it does not go into your heart, your spirit, your mind. It goes in and it goes out. And so often, traditionalism, legalism focuses on those things. Outside things. They can't really defile you anyway. But notice that Jesus doesn't say, see, nothing can defile you. 
right? He doesn't go the other way. He just says, look, nothing that comes outside of you can defile you because it goes in, it comes out. However, the things that come out of a person defile them. That's what defile them because they come from the heart. This is an issue of the heart. This is where we struggle and and, and, and so often fall short is because we forget this one truth that all of these actions are not merely issues of volition. They're not just the will. They're the heart. We talked about adultery before. Jesus mentioned sexual immorality. Right? That's not just an issue of the will. It's not just mustering enough strength to not go to that website or to not be with that person who you're not married to or who isn't the person you're, whatever it is. It's not just about gathering up enough willpower. It's about recognizing that those desires are rooted in sinfulness in you. And what you don't need is behavior modification, although you do need to obey the law of God. Ultimately, what you do need is spiritual transformation. You need to be transformed from the inside out. Your dead heart needs to be made alive. Your spirit that is at war with itself, right? Paul talks about it like this, the old man and the new man, the first Adam and the second Adam. They're battling within you. One that just wants its own selfish ways, that delights in yourself, the other that delights in Jesus. And they're battling, they're waging war, and you are called to deny sin, mortify it. Never let it be said when we preach grace or when we talk about legalism and say, don't be a legalist, that we're saying, do whatever you want. No, the Bible could not say anything further from that. Mortify the flesh. Kill it. Make war with it. That is something that you, that's an act of volition, yes. But the source of it is transformation of the heart, and that happens by the power of the Spirit of God as you Trust in, seek, and savor Jesus Christ. Because here's the point of the law. Here's what the law says, that you cannot do it. Have you considered it? Have you considered how many laws there are and how easy it is to break all of them? Every single one of us breaks laws accidentally. Right? And there were sacrifices for that. There were sacrifices for laws that you didn't know you broke. Because God knew. And then each one of us, probably on a daily basis, breaks laws that you know about intentionally. And so the law is there to bind you up, to tell you, A, your life is not your own, but B, you cannot do this on your own. It binds you, and it points you to Jesus. So now here's the great thing about Jesus. He's with them, and he says, look, it's not what goes into your body that defiles you, but what comes out of your body. So what that means is you need a new heart not a, you don't need behavior modification right now. You need a new heart. And watch if, if as your heart changes, your behavior, your language, your thought life, watch if, and see if these things don't change, right? What you need is me, is what Jesus is saying. You need me to come and to clean you up, to turn over tables in your heart, to cleanse you with blood, to fill you with the Spirit. And Jesus can here's the thing, is that Jesus never defiled himself. Jesus was never unclean. Jesus never broke the law. Jesus loved 
the Lord with everything that he was. He was obedient and faithful, but never legalist. He was compassionate and loving and merciful, but he had anger against the things that made God angry. Jesus was the perfect human. He was human as God created humanity to be. Jesus was that. And in spite of being that, he died on the cross for you. And this is what the Bible says, is that as you trust in Jesus, as you trust in the work of Jesus, in his perfect life, in his death on the cross, in his resurrection, giving you the spirit, the spirit is power in your life. The spirit is actually transforming you, is making you alive. We call that process sanctification. Right? You hear that word sanctification. It's the process by which the Spirit of God, by the power of God and the work of Jesus, makes you like Jesus. Which is ultimately the goal. It's Jesus that does it, and Jesus who can. And so the call of Scripture is not do it yourself. The call of Scripture is not be good enough. The call of Scripture is not make fences and walls and hedges of protection around the law so that you never break it, but in the meantime, you never live the freedom that God called, right? It's for freedom that God set you free, right? That's not the call of Scripture. The call of Scripture is to seek and savor Jesus. So we do that. We do it by reflecting on, meditating on the law of the Lord day and You love the law of the Lord. You love the law of God. You should. Because it is best for you as a person. And because it points you to the giver of life. Points you to Jesus. All of it. The Old Testament. It's marching forward to Jesus. The New Testament is proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus. And so we rest in it. We love it. We delight in it. We delight in Jesus, and all of a sudden, this tradition is no longer the place where we stop. But it can be, some of them, it can be an arrow that points you further and deeper in to love and relationship with Jesus Christ. And we are free. We are free, and we are not condemned. But we love Jesus so much, and we trust him so much that we know that we've not been given license to sin. Because just like I said about legalism, license does the same thing, and that's this, that license, sin, always, always drives your heart further away from the Lord. Whether you want to admit it or not, you know it's true. When you've been in periods of sustained rebellion against the law of the Lord, have you felt closer to God or further away? Be honest with yourself. Have you felt the presence of God radically transforming your life? Or has the word of God been dead to you? Have you felt like you don't want to pray? You don't really want to fellowship authentically with Christian community? Which is it? You know the answer. Because sin separates you. Even as a believer, it pushes you further away from God. As does legalism. And so we want to be right there in the middle. Loving the law of the Lord. Walking with Jesus. That's the call. Put your trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you've given us your law. 
Not because you want us to be bound, but because you want us to be free. Not because you are an angry curmudgeon of a father, but because you are a loving, gracious father. Not only have you given us a law that we we can't keep, you've given us yourself, you've kept it through the person and the work of Jesus. And you've given us the means by which we can delight truly in you and in your law. You've given us the Holy Spirit in so much as we trust in the work of Jesus. So I pray right now that if there are people here who have not yet trusted in Jesus, who have given themselves over to being good enough, they're legalists, they're traditionalists, I pray that in this moment you would grip them, that their heart would want Jesus, not tradition, they want Jesus, not their own strength, that they would give up, they'd throw up their hands and say, Father, I can't. But Jesus did. And if there are people who just, they're in open rebellion, they they don't want anything to do with you or your law or obedience God I pray that you would show them that that leads to destruction but your heart is for their salvation and that they can turn to you and you will be pleased with them I pray that all of us seek and save the Lord Jesus Christ I once heard a commentary basically describing a word study on the word amen. And with regard to what Sean preached this morning from the word of God, we're going to commence or actually finish the benediction with an amen. And essentially the word in as simplistic a form as I can come up with is make it so. So for you Star Trek fans, that'll kind of stick. We're reading from Hebrews and the benediction is as follows. Now may the peace of God who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen.